So two of the most fundamental things that we we seek and uh, actually develop in Dhamma, in cultivating the mind, are wisdom and happiness. And these are qualities we already have, already present, already potentially possible. Everybody has happiness, sometime or another. It's something that gets triggered off. We drop into um, relief from stress, feeling nourished, feeling fed, coming out of cold into warmth. (coughs) And wisdom, um, which is of course a big word, but it really means the ability to um, discern or discriminate we're always doing that, making choices, navigating, steering, determining this rather than that, one spoon rather than two spoons, this is enough, that's not enough. This kind, this rudimentary faculties that we have. Um, but there's a, a learnt wisdom, which is how to bring these together to the best advantage where they, they meet. Because you could say that the, you know, you can look at the easiest ways to describe <coughs> goal or the path or the practices in terms of happiness or freedom from stress, release from conflict, stress, tension, confusion, and wisdom, that's clarity, knowing, mm. understanding, so that we also know how to operate to mean to arrive at this optimal state, to stay in it, to deal with the changing circumstances that come up to keep discerning which is which is better, which is worse, which is going to cause more stretch, which is going to cause less stress. Panya, wisdom. Problem is that uh, a lot of the time we don't really have the uh, taught wisdom or the learnt wisdom, which is how to use these, how to bring these around, how to bring them together. It's what we're cultivating through attending to the teachings of the Buddha and or putting to a test our own experience, finding out for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But also just to remember these are innate qualities. So you just got to almost give yourself time to go back to where you're happy, to where you're released, where you're freed up. Even if it's a kind of by degree, the absence of stress that's present. Hmm. sense of freedom from pain <clears throat> freedom from torment freedom from regret freedom from a corrupt 
mind. <coughs> you know, it's just kind of the art of recollection is to, is to pick up a theme like that, acknowledge it, feel where it is, because our systems easily get distracted into the places where we're stuck, which scream at us, which call to us, which grab our attention rather than kind of something more um, less of an issue, you know. But, yeah, you know, quite healthy, feel okay, nobody's bothering me right now. <laughs> you know, it's nice to have a little more space and time, be more peaceful. Yeah, that's better, better than scrambling around uh, in panic or duress. Pick up that quality. So part of this is what we, this ability to pick up is a uh, nusati recollection, anusati, bringing yourself into line with the happiness of human beings. There's more of it than unhappiness. Because the unhappiness tends to grab our attention. You look in the Buddhist cosmology, there's literally, you know, 20, over 20 different heaven realms that are, you can go up to, can ascend to. There's only really six realms, you know, you can descend to. Pretty grim, of course. So it's better than Christianity. You've got plenty of heavens, you know, almost swamped for choices. <laughs> you can be with angels if you like, or you can be on your own, <laughs> formless if you want, or you want wings, we've got wings. <laughs> you want colours, we've got colours. You want people, heavenly musicians, we've got that, or you can have it vast eternal silence if you like that one better, you know. Which one would you like? Mm. You like the happiness that comes from <coughs> morality, happiness that comes from generosity, or the happiness that comes from samadhi, or detachment. Yeah. Which would you... Yeah. There's some are longer than others, and the recognition is that longer ones are the ones cultivated through strengthening, training, the mind, extending attention, or the cultivation of samadhi meditation. Mm. And even more than that, there's the Nibbana, which is sometimes, you know, the Buddha said, well, it's, it, you could say it's something, it's a kind of happiness. <coughs> kind of happiness of release. And every time there's a little bit of release, there's a little bit of happiness. Every time we let go of a little bit, there's a little bit. Every time we find a struggle in ourselves, just to remember that if we can work through this, there's a little more of the happiness. We drop back, you might say, to something fundamental. It it strengthens, it deepens within us. It's good to recollect this. It's not just a duty or 
armed combat with one's difficulties or you've got to get somewhere but actually there's something inviting mm-hmm. happiness <coughs> but of the various kinds of happiness that uh, people find or have there's some that just come by chance you might say lucky strokes <coughs> good fortune, some that come through um, sensory contact and shifting around to find the most uh, comfortable and happy place in the sense realms, taste, touches, sights and so forth, that kind of happiness which is really the relief from pain and hunger. Mm. And if you, and then there's happiness which comes, which is a more refined kind, which is to do with things that are not dependent on sense contact, which is very irregular, really. And if you sense that, you know, the happiness that comes from sense contact is is like a burst. You know, when you have your meal, it's the first. If you're very hungry, it's the first few mouthfuls. But then the, when there's no uh, wisdom, then we t- happiness turns to greed. Yeah. So then it becomes unhappy, it becomes stressful, it becomes driven, it becomes violent, rabid. So it's a, it's a fragile and a, a dangerous kind of happiness. It's not that it isn't there, but it's dangerous because it, it inclines us towards consuming more and more and more. <coughs> So with some wisdom, discernment, you begin to see that happiness, that another kind of happiness which is less grabbing is to do with uh, sila, morality, sense of lightness, freedom from mental manipulativeness, furtiveness, deceitfulness, regret. You know, the mind becoming clearer and open, brighter. Freedom from intoxications, freedom from addictions of various kinds, not just obvious addictions, but compulsive habits we scurry into. There's a scurrying quality about uh, addictions to, you know doing things, reading things, making things, and so on. Kind of bury, bury ourselves in them. And then, you know, there's something that never really ends. Burying oneself in sleep. In fact, a lot of, um, you know, our addictive habits have a kind of trancing state. We trance out. You know, couch out, veg out into something that will just absorb us for a while, flood attention with something that's absorbing, interesting, intriguing. And then you kind of come out of it an hour later, whoa, slightly groggy. Surfing the internet or, you know, 
lost in books, lost in magazines, which are kind of, it's, it's harmless enough, seemingly, it's not, but it, it's uh, got a, you get addictive and there's a, there's a kind of hypnotic effect where you, we lose ourselves. In fact, one of the reasons why these things are so um, uh, popular is because you, we can lose ourselves in them. We can lose, shrug off some of the ambiguous, the unresolved stuff in the mind and just kind of bury. So that kind of happiness is, is, is pretty um, tainted. So there's a happiness that comes from clarity and restraint and renunciation. Terms that are not ever so popular. <laughs> you know, they're grim kind of terms, aren't they? <clears throat> because we, if we measure it in terms of restraint and renunciation, in terms of the activity or the object, you know, letting go of a thing, you think, oh, that thing, that thing carries happiness, you know. The sweet thing, the tasty thing, the beautiful thing carries happiness. Uh, and then we're cutting it off. Ooh. But actually, it only carries happiness because we put it there. <laughs> so just, you know, and then the more we keep putting it there, the more we can feel our energy is lost. It goes out onto a world of things, and we, in a way, lose ourselves and that's the common predicament for humans because the happiness faculty is not absent it's just it gets lost we we, we, we continually throw it into things <clears throat> so renunciation restraint is actually bringing it back you know, when we put something aside, there's, there's that kind of empty moment or that, oh. And you just rest in that. Feel the lightness, the clarity, the kind of simplicity, this, the calming. These are the things to, to uh, from meditator, these you, you really understand and penetrate the mind, you can experience that sense of the calming the spaciousness, and that becomes a source of buoyant, like self-respect, dignity, clarity, these kinds of qualities of a, of a happiness that gives you back to yourself. Instead of losing yourself out when you're giving yourself, getting your back to yourself. Strengthening, and in fact, this is the basis, renunciation, restraint is the basis for meditation. Yeah, and it it's to do with self-respect, you know. It's perhaps you know the fact that we actually the fundamental understanding that we already are valuable, worthy, rich, and we just we we lose that of so bringing it back home.
So this requires, this kind of happiness requires discernment, banya, discrimination, ability to recognize this kind of happiness, has these effects, these causes, dependent upon this, there's these kinds of happiness, these causes, these effects, dependent on this, which is the more useful, better, long-lasting, which do I feel more complete in, more comfortable in, which has got more possibility for me. And uh, certainly for myself, then, my my faith and my experiences in, in the mind, in meditation, in the deepening, penetrating the mind. And the the, uh, sense of happiness is important because then it's that which tells you you're on the right track. If If your wisdom is making you more miserable, more uptight, more opinionated, then uh, it's not doing the job. So when wisdom just becomes ideals and ideas rather than direct applied experience, this is a problem of a word like wisdom. You know, we can have ideas of perfection, ideas of what we should be, hopes, and uh, real... Uh, and that kind of becomes isn't wisdom as an action it becomes wisdom as a kind of series of concepts that wisdom as an action is the choosing discernment this not that oh yeah and then as a result which is jnana or knowledge knowing. So, happiness needs wisdom, wisdom needs happiness. To give us the confidence that this actually is is working. Now, of course, you know, sounds all good enough, but for most of us, the experience is coming up against places of, of unhappiness, revealing places of where before we were burying, burying ourselves, burying our cares, drowning our sorrows. You know, suddenly as we start to meditate, we or clarify, we come up against great lumps of unhappiness. So, oh, does this mean we're doing it wrong? Mm. Well, you know, the Buddha teaches dukkha, and the cessation of. So there's always a certain amount of, of happiness or clarity or release. And you have to recognize that. You know, I'm free from the, what's called the blight of stinginess. I'm free from the, the crabby effects of grudges or ill will. Even if these are, you know, temporary reliefs. It's that. And so we find that, and then you, from that place, you feel more assured, and you start to 
look into the suffering, the conflicts, the stuck places that are still present with some faith. So, banya, discernment, faith help each other, support each other. You know, the faith to recognize what we haven't yet cleared is really, we haven't kind of dropped into something ultimately fundamental. You know, I finally found my fundamental nature is miserable. Yeah. This is the, you know, this isn't the first, first noble truth is not an ultimate truth. My true nature is miserable. <laughs> it's, a, it's a relative truth. Yeah. It means there's something to be dealt with, something to be conditioned. It's a conditioned thing. And the conditions that, so there are conditions that cause or stimulate that. Mm. Clinging, craving. Craving as it solidifies, becomes kind of locked into, into clinging. Sometimes not even active clinging, but just being stuck. It's rather like the, the uh, energy of, of craving sort of freezes into this clinging grasp and then even just feeling held, feeling locked. So you know, we have to kind of melt that. And it's clinging to particular sights, sounds, tastes and so forth, which is relatively easy to to drop, to put to step back from. What's more fundamental, the Buddha points out, is the clinging associated with what are called five the five groups or five aggregates. Form, feeling perception, formations or programs, it's activities of the mind, familiar, repeated, repetitive, formulating psychologies. It's a long phrase, sankara. It's not an easy one to translate. And the grasping, clinging to consciousness, to feeding, to this sense of putting things in. Consciousness is that which keeps making things present for us. And when it's clinging to it, we continually feel identified in terms of the sights, the sounds. I become the seer, the thinker, the hearer, something inside the body, something behind the eyes, something behind the thoughts. We're dependent upon external or on phenomena. And anywhere you, that you begin to melt the clinging has an overall effect. You begin to feel yourself a bit looser. The easiest place is, is form. Rupa, clinging to form. The way, way that form is normally clung to, form becomes bodies shapes, things, discrete things, you know, solid entities, 
As you begin to contemplate your own body experience, you recognize it's not a, a single thing. It's a multiplicity of shifting, changing energies, textures, spaces, densities, heats, tingles, flushes, rushes. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, so these are what are called elements, elemental properties. And you look around and you see shapes. You see things that, bodies that seem to have solidity to them. Mm. You see shapes, and shape is the water element. Water element is what gives things shape. You know, if you dried these bodies out, they'd just be heaps of dust. Um, and then it could be, you know, it doesn't it doesn't stick together. What sticks it together into shape is water. And of course, these bodies are mostly water. And when you, you look at a body, you can see that the, you know, shape and then sometimes you can't even really see the shapes it's kind of particularly in the winter time it really looks like birds you know little skinny legs and great puffy torsos padded up with quilts and furs and wool and hats and things it doesn't it looks more like a kind of pigeon than a human So there they are, you know, where's the human being gone? And you can imagine, or you you get this kind of perception aggregate, which is the thing that keeps interpreting form. It's big, small, male, female, attractive, unattractive. Form is what? It's just uh, shaping up. When it appears through the eyes, there's a shape. You know, sometimes, you know, you put clothes on bodies, they look a lot better. You can kind of pad up bits, prop up bits, tuck in bits, squeeze in bits, pop out bits, pad out the shoulders. It looks pretty, you know, it's quite classic. And you take it all away, sort of flop. (laughs) You know, you see these kind of statues in the museums, these Greek gods and goddesses all... Immaculate skin, you know, alabaster skin, perfectly white, smooth skin, lovely symmetrical forms. The human bodies aren't like that. But in perception, we can have that kind of perception of that's that's the ideal. Yeah. But whether the shape is whatever it is, it's. You know, marble bodies don't don't change that quickly. You know. But skin ones do. Moving ones do. Living ones do. And you consider like a body's really like a plastic bag full of all kinds of stuff. You're like going to the supermarket and you've got all kinds of stuff in a plastic bag. And on the, out, the outside the bag... It, can be any old shape, really. And then we, you know, but you don't value the goods dependent on the plastic bag. So you kind of contemplate shape is just shape. If you look at it very clear, shape is changing all the time. When the bodies move around, they change shape. You know, they go 
becomes sometimes taller, obviously, then uh, it kind of flows, textures, we can in perception is really the um, one of the main um, forms that generate uh, complicate papancha proliferates which reminds me of this reminds me of that triggers off this impulse triggers off that perception you know magazines are full of them aren't they you know Tropical beaches, people in swimsuits, sunshine, really smiling, perfect teeth, perfect hair, perfect skin. That's human life. And of course, it isn't. But the perception's there, the kind of sanya or the meaning of this could be, this, this is where it could be, you could and this would be happiness. And so when you place your happiness out there, when nobody ever gets it, you know, maybe somebody might get it for a few seconds, a few minutes, maybe half a day, if they've got a lot of money. Most of us aren't going to do it in that realm. So we start to begin to see that actually if you restrain let go of the perceptions you know you know just being with rupa changing the mind feels cool calm easy no pressure no push no fantasy no recoiling just this is this, this and the mind feels loose and open that's that is happiness so this is the kind of round you get sanya perception arises around form rupa and then you get volitions programs arise around perceptions the get it program the become it program the you know if it's unpleasant the distaste the arguing the bitterness the regret the blaming feeling oppressed by but if you start to challenge the perceptions themselves how bad, how is it how ugly is it how distasteful is it how much of a hassle is it you know a day in a monastery day in a retreat following routines Okay, you know, we could imagine we could be free and blissing out on the yacht, the turquoise ocean in the Caribbean, palm trees, coconuts, mangoes, and so forth. It's Chittavivaka, freezing cold, grey day, winter time, sitting on a stone floor. So you could actually get through that one, you know. <laughs> get over that one. And you come into, it just this is to draw the mind inwards, isn't it? 
to body breathing in, breathing out. The absence of affliction. So you, you're kind of restraining, bringing in, and feeling the forms in the body, breath in the body, the change of these elements, properties. Oh, mind itself, it's spacious, peaceful, it's kind of ease to it. This is the easy one, perceptions around form, around physical form. But whenever, so we recommend doing that, you know, sometimes the stuff of motions and uh, mind states is, is, is much more difficult to, to unravel because it's so fast and so embedded. Mm-hmm. So if you can loosen up around body, coming back to that sense of space and happiness, this in a way, you know, calls the whole system. It's like when you go into spasm, when your body goes into kind of seizures or spasms, tightens up, you do something, you know, it just sends a charge of release through it. And this is sending a release message through the mind to be with body. It's the easy one. And within that, the sense of dis- discernment increases, the sense of well-being increases. It increases, they increase together. You know, they're not separating. They're not, we're not losing. We're not giving our happiness away. We, we're collecting it. It's collecting, discernment, firming up. This is the process of samadhi. <clears throat> And this can, in fact, itself have, uh, you know, almost like um, generate the sense of release in which other aspects of the mind that we never really, really fathom or understand start to just loosen up because they, we sense that, that release. You know, why we are uh, fearful or gloomy or impatient or you know, whatever it is. Just kind of bringing the sense of ease and happiness into the mind starts to loosen up the basis of these phenomena rather than the topics or the karma. You you can't always work all the karma out, but you can find a place where it releases. And putting it together, you see that often when we experience some sense of space or detachment or ease, then, you know, we want to just go into that state itself, the space of the mind. You can do this. But use it, using it wisely means bringing it back into, into the aggregates, because this is where you get the long-term effects. You don't just have a nice meditation and then come out of it and we're back again. You start to invest that spaciousness, that release into the very construction of your world, of your entity, of your selfhood. So once you've more, you know, 
fully experiencing your own body and the bodies around you as elements shifting and changing that that message is you know woven into the mind then certain things start to just not happen anymore you know the the certain tensions certain um, ways in which we regard ourselves and others even certain somatic tensions often uh, our bodies are held they're kind of locked they're held by forces and pressures and there's an unconscious gripping of them tightening up or losing them a lot of the time bits of your body disappear and people are kind of slumping around it's as if bits aren't there but this uh, sense of really feeling the elements and then breathing in, breathing out, so that 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 breathing in, breathing out is an energy that passes through the whole body. So it brings this message of ease and release to the whole body. So it's like breathing out, breathing in, breathing out affects the nervous system. So it just kind of radiates through the whole body. You get a sense in which places that are blocked in your body begin to loosen and open. Blocked stuff is earth, rigid earth. Insubstantial stuff is water. Flaring is fire. Restlessness, trembling is, is, is air. So you feel these elemental properties, just you know, discern them in that way. It's like you're breathing into the earth or letting that warm, supple energy move into the through the body with no aim or intention other than just to breathe. Just to let the breath touch it, be through move through it. And it brings vitality and clarity to the form. This is where, you know, when you, you look in the Anapanasati Sutta, one knows one's breathing in, one knows one's breathing out. You get to the rhythm of it first of all. You get the sense of the knowing of it, which is spacious, which is receptive. It's not a calculating knowing, it's just a mm-hmm, sampajana. Pajanati is that sense of feeling, evaluating, sensing it. Breath, the fullness, the length, the long breath, the full, complete breath, and then the short, short breath as the breathing quietens, becomes more subtle, and then breathing in and out through the whole body. Sabakaya Pati Sangwedi. Um, thoroughly, completely feeling all the entire kaya, the entire group, the entire form group of the body. So, you know, this doesn't mean sticking to one particular point in your body, but being one-pointed on that energy itself. That's your aim so you've got a one-pointed aim, one-pointed intention to be with that, and you have one particular theme 
which is this flow, this energy flow, and then spreading it, widening through the whole body or sending it to particular areas in your body. You know, if you're tight in your chest, your shoulder, your neck, you're just breathing and out through there. As you're breathing out, you focus on those places. Lengthening, focusing, letting it sweep down your body through your legs and feet. So you get the effect of, a, of, a, of an energetic resonance shifting and the whole body starts to loosen and it finds its own balance. Sometimes you feel little shifts occurring that you can't do from your head. The body has to know itself where it wants to release or shift, where it wants to ease up, where it can. Some places can't ease up right now, but this one can. And the body knows that, knows which bits can let go. So through that you get a sense of the, the toughness and the hardness and the, um, or the staleness of the body disappears. You get something buoyant, a subtle body. And this is then calming, steadying soothing, easing into that. It's very much the same process of, of, you know, what's called restraint or renunciation. It means we're not blissing out on it, but just easing it up, finding that ease is actually a more long-term, uh, supportive kind of happiness than, than bliss or rapture. It's a it's a lower burn, but it's a steadier warmth. So then you know, breathing in out these through form, through the elements, feeling this is discernment. You know, so. Noticing where one's missing it. Noticing where there's tension or lack of a, lack of attention. Sensing whether it's complete, the breathing is complete, or whether it's slightly withheld. Whether you're breathing too much, too fast, your mind is pushing or, or exaggerating. So we keep that discernment that keeps easing the unnecessary complications and stress that our mind, confused mind, puts onto this very simple process. So then discernment, wisdom is used for the release of suffering. 